This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary and your host for the Lead On podcast. Each week we talk about ministry leadership issues and more specifically, how we can shape our character and our skills and our ability to give leadership to the ministry God has assigned us to lead. Now, this is the second week of a three-part podcast on ministry finance. I'm doing three parts on this because I get asked so many questions about money-related issues. Questions like, um, where can I find money to fund my project? Uh, How do you convince people to give? What are some of your secrets of fundraising? Um, How do you establish a church budget? How do you uh, determine spending priorities in a ministry setting? How much do you pay different people? I mean, all kinds of questions that I'm asked, which leads me to believe that there's a lot of ministry leaders that really have uh, inadequate training in this area and just really don't have the resources and background they need to do the job at hand. So last week, I talked about the importance of modeling stewardship, what it means as a ministry leader to be a model of stewardship, just like you're a model for other kinds of discipleship-related issues. Now, before I go on, let me also add about last week. I went over a lot of different aspects of what it means to be a model of stewardship development. You may be thinking, I heard that, and it was way too much for me. There's just no way I can do all that. Well, you probably can't do it all quickly, but you can, if you set a goal to over a period of months or even years, you can develop yourself into a person who really is a model of stewardship development, money management, and really is someone that that understands the principles of making and spending and giving and saving the resources God has provided. So don't be discouraged. Uh, You can become a model in this area. And it is appropriate for you to become a model because just like in every other area of discipleship, we want to preach and teach out of who we are and call people to follow us in the journey of growing in in this area of our lives as we do in other areas. Now today, I want to shift the focus and talk about what it means to develop stewards through your church. To develop stewards means that you develop people in a disciple-making context to help them understand what it means to really uh, dis- to, to live a discipled life in relationship to their money or their resources. So let's talk about that. Frankly, some of you are reluctant to talk about that. You really don't want to talk about money-related issues, especially in church or ministry settings. Now, there are a number of reasons why people give for not wanting to talk about money-related matters at church. First, they say, well... Uh, I'm put off by the abuses of others. In other words, uh, you see people like televangelists uh, constantly raising money, or you see people who've in local churches squandered money or misused money, and you say, well, I don't want to be lumped in with those people, so therefore I'm never going to talk about money because if I do, then I'll be one of them. Well, that's not really a legitimate reason to avoid the issue. Second, you don't want to be accused of being that guy or that girl who all they ever talk about is money. Well, frankly, uh, you do have to talk about money if you do talk about things that you find in the Bible because it's there on a lot of different, uh, in, in a lot of different capacities and ways. So you are going to talk about money from time to time if you do develop people in their spiritual discipleship. But you don't have to talk about it all the time. And the perception that you talk about it all the time is really probably not your reality. Another reason leaders don't want to talk about these issues is they over-spiritualize the methods of God's provision. They say, well, God will provide, and he'll provide without my help or without me doing anything, so I'm just going to trust God. Whatever comes is what God wants, and I don't have to receive an offering or teach anybody any principles or challenge anybody to give. I'll just trust God. Well, all right, I'm trusting God also, but I think that in the context of trusting God, we also have a responsibility 
to train people to be obedient to God in this area of their lives. And then finally, some people don't want to talk about these things because they think uh, people, especially unchurched people, are non-Christians, are easily offended about money and don't want to talk about money. Well, that is completely wrong. Uh, there are TV channels devoted to talking about money. There's money on almost every news program. There's financial and economic issues in every web page or news page or newspaper. Uh, people talk about money at their work all the time. They're concerned about their paycheck, their compensation, their benefits. I mean, people are thinking about and talking about money all the time. So they are not easily offended by people who talk about money with them. Now, you can talk about money in an offensive way, and we'll talk about that later in the podcast, but people are not automatically offended just because you bring up a finance-related issue. So those are some reasons leaders give for avoiding the issue, but now what are some real reasons that they avoid talking about money-related issues? Well, first, because they're not personal stewards. It's hard to talk about something and challenge other people to do something that we're not doing ourselves or that we're not even growing uh, toward doing ourselves. So if you're not really growing in personal stewardship, you need to fix that. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be growing. You have to be moving toward becoming a model that people can emulate so that you can teach with power and authority, not only from the Word of God, but out of your own experience and the validation of the authenticity of your life uh, in this area. Another reason, a real reason, is that many leaders have never been trained to teach about or talk about stewardship principles. They don't know any church stewardship principles. They didn't go through a program in the church where they uh, were discipled. They have never learned about that in any other setting or context, and so it's not that they uh, don't want to talk about money-related issues. They don't know what to say. And so this podcast is trying to help you get to the place where you do understand some things that you can and must say to people about their money. And then another reason is some leaders lack the courage to tackle a tough subject. They'll say, well, I'll preach on uh, homosexuality, or I'll preach on adultery, or I'll preach on abortion. Okay, that's fine, and it takes courage to address those issues. But why don't you also preach about greed? It takes courage to address that issue as well, and that's a prevalent sin in the American church. And I, I, I know that it takes courage to address sinful issues, but it also takes courage to address this one, to stand up and say, this is what God says about money, and we have to learn to obey him. Well, a last reason is some leaders don't want to talk about these issues because they're afraid of what they perceive to be failure if everyone doesn't respond with generous giving or with discipled spending or with more saving. Well, the reality is most people respond to teaching like this incrementally. They make some improvement. That doesn't mean you're a failure. Uh, that's how people respond to all discipleship programs with incremental improvement. And so just understand that as you disciple people related to their wealth and their financial related matters, as you disciple people in stewardship, they're going to make incremental changes and you're going to see slow progress over time. And that's not a failure. That's actually a success. Well, what causes churches and ministry leaders to ask questions about how to talk about money or how to develop stewards or how to resolve these issues? Well, it usually starts with what I call the downward spiral of ministry finance. And it takes a, it's a seven-part process. First, a church begins with adequate resources in the moment for its work. It has adequate resources because of uh, past giving of faithful members, or it has adequate resources because of denominational funding, or because of partner churches that are helping, particularly with a church plant or with a special project. Maybe it has adequate resources because of some major donors who give an extraordinary amount of money. Whatever the reason, a church has adequate resources in the moment for its work. And so the leaders think, we don't need to do anything because we have plenty of money. But then, number two, circumstances change, which causes a shortfall of resources. 
Now, those circumstances can be the evaporation of denominational support, or they can be the diminishing of sponsoring church support, or perhaps those circumstances include major givers having setbacks in their companies or in their personal lives and having to give less. Whatever the circumstance, a shortfall comes. Which leads, leads to the third step, and that is leaders observe the deadline, the decline, excuse me, and wonder, what do we do? And so they say, what do we do? What happened? What went wrong? How can we fix this? What do we do? Which leads to number four, leaders then pray and hope, but the downward trend continues. They ask God to provide, and they hope that God will provide, and they say they're trusting God to provide, but the provision either doesn't come or it's slow to come. And so leaders then do the fifth step, and that is leaders appeal for funds. They do fundraising. They stand up and they tell about what's happened, and they communicate the crisis the ministry or the church is facing, and they appeal emotionally and passionately for people to step up in their giving. And in doing that, they appear to be what they have always tried to avoid, and that is a person who's out for the money, who's just only talks about money when there's a need, who is what some people call a money grubber, just trying to get the money to try to meet the immediate need. That leads to number six on the downward spiral, and that is the church may respond once, but the problem is not really resolved. Yes, people may respond. They may respond generously. They may respond in the moment. They may meet the crisis. But pretty soon, the problem continues, which leads to number seven. The pattern repeats itself. Once that surge of giving that came in solves the immediate need, then you're back to the Circumstances changing, a shortfall coming, leaders wondering what to do, they pray and hope, and then they go back to people and they ask again, can you meet another crisis need? And this is what generally happens. Yes, there's a result, but it's a diminished result. People give less. They have what I call giving fatigue. They've heard the appeal. They've met the crisis. Now they're hearing another appeal. It's only been six months and we're having another crisis? What's going on with our ministry? What's going on with our church? Why are we having all these financial issues? And why are they appealing to me to fund something that seems to be in decline? Each time the, the appeal is made, you have a diminishing results going forward. That's why I call it the downward spiral of ministry finance. So if this is the pattern that too many ministries are facing, what can we do to break that pattern and have a much more strategic approach to solving uh, church and ministry finance issues? Well, I think a strategic approach involves at least three major components. First, focus on developing stewards, not fundraising, as a core practice of your church's disciple-making ministry. Focus on developing stewards, not fundraising, as a core practice of your church's disciple-making ministry. I think this is at the core of what pastors have to understand and church leaders have to understand. The solution, the long-term solution to church finance issues is developing stewards, and developing stewards must be seen as a part of a church's disciple-making ministry. Just like we make disciples in the area of prayer, in the area of sharing your faith, we make the disciples in the area of Bible reading or Bible knowledge, just like we make disciples in the area of parenting or family dynamics or marriage relationships, just like we make disciples in these areas by teaching people, guiding them, and systemically and systematically over time, continually emphasizing these themes as people grow over a lifetime, we have to add financial issues to the mix. Why do we do this? Well, first of all, it's because stewardship is biblical. 
the theme of stewardship is woven throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and so making it part of your core disciple-making ministry is a biblical responsibility. Stewardship is also systemic and systematic. It's not crisis-driven. Stewardship is something, stewardship development is something you do week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, uh, not because you have a financial crisis, because it's a part of your church's ongoing development processes for people. And because you offer a systemic and a systematic approach to stewardship development, people are able to take advantage of it when they have learning readiness. Too many pastors or church leaders make the mistake of announcing a stewardship development program and saying, everybody come, we're going to do this, and then we won't have to ever do it again. And maybe a small percentage of the church are really ready at that particular moment for that kind of emphasis. And so most of the church doesn't even participate. But if you have this something, if you have this as a program that's offered consistently in an ongoing fashion, when people are ready, when they have the need, when they are, when they're, when they're learning, uh, when they're open to learning about stewardship, they're going to take advantage of the course or the project or the process. Another reason to add it to your disciple-making ministry is stewardship is really about money, but it's more than money. It's comprehensive. It's about stewardship of life. It's about stewardship of talents and time, and also it's about stewardship of opportunities and gifts. And so stewardship development is about money, but it's also bigger than that. It's about helping people understand the scope of the discipleship required in the totality of their life. And then stewardship is also important because it addresses, as I've already said, one of the core issues of American society and really global society, and that's money. People think about money all the time. They, they watch TV shows about it. They read books about it. They take magazines about it. They um, read online articles about it. They talk about it with their friends. They talk about it with their, with their bosses. Uh, they're always worried about their paycheck and about their bills. People think and talk about money all the time. So when you address it as part of your church's stewardship development program, you're addressing one of the core issues of life. Well, focus on developing stewards, not fundraising, as a core practice of your church's disciple-making ministry. And see stewardship development and see addressing financial matters as one component of what it means to make disciples in our world today. A second issue is to maintain a continuing program of stewardship training. Now, I've already alluded to this under the first point, but I want to amplify it now. Maintain a continuing program of stewardship training. Now, the best way to do that is to choose a personal or family stewardship program and stay with it for, say, at least five years. Now, there are many of these that are uh, available today. I think two of the most commonly used are the programs by Crown Financial Ministries and Financial Peace University. I'm not recommending either one of those or one over the other. I'm just using them as illustrations. I'm simply saying that there are good programs that have been developed they're video-driven. Uh, uh, they require a person with some skill to moderate, guide, and coach the participants, but they don't require a CPA or a financial planner or a person with an MBA to lead them. Uh, but these programs are readily available, and what I advocate is that a church choose one of these programs and offer it once or twice a year for a period of at least five years. Now, this strikes to what I already mentioned, and that is the issue of learning readiness. Some people just aren't ready to talk about money in, the, in this context yet. They're not ready to admit that they have a need. They're not ready to admit they need help. And so you don't just offer the program once and hope everyone comes and that's the end of that. You don't do that on any other area of biblical, steward, of biblical discipleship. Instead, you offer an ongoing, continuing program of training. And you have to do the same thing in developing stewards. So choose a personal or financial stewardship program 
and stay with it. The second thing you can do in terms of maintaining a continuing program is teach church stewardship principles. Now, do this naturally. First of all, uh, preach on them when you encounter them in the text of Scripture. Now, if you're accustomed to preaching through books of the Bible or even sections of books of the Bible, you're going to encounter, uh, maybe more often than you anticipate or more often than you realize, you're going to encounter uh, financial-related passages or financial-related themes or stewardship-related themes. So when you encounter them in the text, preach on them. You know, as a pastor, I, for years, made it a habit of preaching through books of the Bible or sections of books of the Bible. And I preached other things, too, like uh, biographical series on different characters and things like that, but those also led me to preach on sections of Scripture. And when I did this, I just took whatever was in the text, and that's what I preached, believing that the Bible itself controls what needs to be emphasized. And so, therefore, if you preach through Scripture passages or books of the Bible our sections of books of the Bible, you're going to preach about stewardship themes and financial themes because they're all throughout the Scripture. And then another intentional time to teach church stewardship principles is during the budget development and adoption season of your church or ministry. When you're actually developing the budget and presenting the budget is a good time to teach on and reinforce the stewardship development principles that are being taught in your ongoing program that takes place in your church's discipleship-making ministry. And then another way that you can maintain a program, a continuing program, is to share stories of financial victory and freedom and God's provision. Uh, you can do this in several ways, but here's a couple of suggestions. First, uh, use testimonies in worship services. Allow people to tell their story. Uh, when someone has had a mir miraculous provision from God or when someone has set a goal of increasing their giving to a certain level and achieved that goal or when someone has seen God deliver them from debt, Find a way to share that story. Either do it in a live testimony, letting a person simply tell their story in a worship setting, or if you want to control the time and the content, have them record that as a video, edit it, and play it as a part of your service or as an illustration of your, in your sermon uh, to get the exact point across that you're trying to make. I remember a few years ago, again, while I was still a pastor, we had a family in our church that uh, came to faith in Christ and came into our church, and they were both uh, in good jobs. He was a, a manager in a company. She was a teacher, and they were thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. In fact, they were so hopelessly in debt that they'd almost given up and were about ready to declare bankruptcy. But they went through our church's stewardship development, uh, our steward, yeah, stewardship development training, and really gained the skills necessary to learn how to make and save and spend and give their money away. And so when they put together this comprehensive plan, they thought, you know, this, a lot of this is counterintuitive and doesn't make sense and will require faith, but honestly, the way we've been doing things hasn't worked, so let's try it. And so for, the, for that year, they set out to live out the principles they had learned in the course. God intervened in dramatic ways. Uh, their debt was reduced dramatically, their lives changed significantly, their marriage uh, changed, their, their family atmosphere changed, so much changed. And so after about a year, they came to me and told me their story, and I said, man, we got to tell this story. So I helped them to craft it into a testimony that they could share in a worship service. And hearing that firsthand information from fellow church members just really spoke to our church and to many members about 
what God could do in their lives and the importance of the ongoing training we had and how they needed to take advantage of it. So use testimonies either live or by video in worship services. And then also uh, post these same stories or publicize these same stories in church publications. Uh, put the video on your website or put the story in your church bulletin or in some way uh, circulate the information so that it's broadcast and picked up on by many people in the church. So a strategic approach to church finance. Number one, Focus on developing stewards, not fundraising. And number two, maintain a continuing program of stewardship training by developing a program and staying with it for at least five years, teaching about these issues when they come up in your preaching ministry through sections of, the, of Scripture or books of the Bible, and then share stories of victory, of progress, and development in your church to encourage, motivate, and really inspire people that God can work in their finances in fresh ways. And then last, uh, communicate wisely about your church's financial status. Now let me talk a little bit more about preaching and teaching on money-related issues. Some people are very reluctant to do this because they just don't know how to do it. They're afraid to do it. They don't know what to say. They think people will be offended, and they won't be, by the way, if you do it appropriately. But how do you preach and teach on money-related issues? Well, here's some suggestions. First, preach on the biblical pattern of tithes and offerings. Don't emphasize fundraising. Emphasize obedience. Emphasize that we're obedient to give the tithe and beyond the tithe to give offerings. And learn, uh, develop a theology of that, which helps you to understand how to interpret passages of Scripture and bring your theology about tithes and offerings to bear when you're preaching about giving. Rather than talk about crisis fundraising or uh, meeting an urgent need, talk about the, the systematic and disciplined way that God expects His people to give and teach that uh, and preach that in, uh, when you have the opportunity. Second, avoid, when you're preaching and teaching on money, avoid negative, brow-beating, guilt-inducing comments or illustrations. They're counterproductive. Shaming people into giving and doing more financially is no more effective than shaming people into sharing their faith or shaming people into praying more. It just doesn't work. People might walk out of the church and say, man, I feel really bad about this and I've got to do better, but they're not likely to do better. They have to be trained and shown in a positive way what it looks like to make improvements in the area in financial-related or money-related issues. So avoid the negative, preach the positive. And then another positive way to include preaching and teaching on money in your, in your messages is to use money or financial-related illustrations. When you're describing an illustration, for example, about faith, uh, yes, it's appropriate to talk about faith in uh, bringing about a healing or faith in solving a relational dilemma or faith in uh, bringing someone into your life at the right time, like a job or something like that. But it's also appropriate to share illustrations of faith related to people trusting God for money. And so think about when you're illustrating different biblical uh, points or different, bibli different biblical concepts, don't shy away from illustrating those concepts with money or finance-related illustrations. And as I've already said, use money-related testimonies by church members, either by video or live. And then don't, don't be afraid to speak naturally and even humorously about finance or money-related issues. Uh, perhaps you have some stories in your past about uh, things that have happened to you that were humorous or that things that happened to you that were challenging or things that happened to you that were just a part of the ebb and flow of the growth in your life on these issues. Don't be afraid of sharing those things. But then finally, when you're preaching and teaching about money-related themes, be uncompromising and challenge people to their responsibility of Christian stewardship. 
And of course, not just about money, but also about their time and their talents. But starting with the issue of money, don't be afraid to challenge them. It really discourages me when I hear pastors say, well, I preach against sin. You know, I preach against immorality and I preach against homosexuality and I, I preach against adultery. And I say, okay, well, that's great. And they say, yeah, and I also preach against abortion and I preach against uh, uh, gossip. And I say, okay, you know, that's great too. But when do you preach against greed? When do you have the courage to stand up and tell people the truth about the way that Christians are misusing money in our culture today? And the response is all too often, oh, well, I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about money. I don't, want to, I don't want to do that. Well, if the reason you don't want to do that is because you're a coward, well, then man up. Develop courage. Stand strong. I mean, this is just another area of life where people have to be challenged, and don't be afraid to do that. Now, the second thing I would say about communicating wisely is not just how to preach and teach on money, but to learn to share information about money-related issues in the best way possible or in the most appropriate way possible. So let me give some thoughts about that. First, share information in the proper setting. While I don't shy away from preaching and teaching about money, there's a lot of things I don't do on a Sunday morning setting if I'm a church leader. Uh, I'm not going to hand out the church financial statement on a Sunday morning. I'm not going to go into great detail about the church's finances in that context. I'm not going to reveal anything about giving patterns or things, things of that nature. I'm not going to challenge people very intentionally and specifically about their responsibility as a member of the church to give a certain amount. I'm going to do all those things that I just mentioned, but I'm going to do them in other settings like new member training in the church newsletter or church publications um, in a special letter that I might send out periodically to help information go out to the church members only. So I'm going to share information in the proper setting. Uh, yes, there's some things that can be shared when preaching and teaching, and there's some ways to do that. But there's a whole other layer of information that really needs to be shared, but needs to be shared in a different setting or a different context. Second thing is, when you share information about money, share it with the proper attitude. Don't share it with a note of apology. Well, I'm so sorry we have to talk about this tonight in the meeting, but i got to talk about money. Don't do that. Instead, say, now we're going to talk about the church's financial situation or the church's financial status, and I'd like to hand out this report and talk with you and tell you where we are and answer your questions about it. Quiet confidence is the attitude you want when you're talking about money. And then a third aspect of this is, that, uh, that key information about a ministry's financial status needs to come from senior leadership. In my case, the president. In the case of most churches, it needs to come from the pastor. You say, well, why is that important? It's because money is at the core of life for many people, and people want to know how the money is being managed, how it's being spent, how it's being raised, and what's being done with it. So when you share information like this, it needs to be shared by the senior leader. Now, that doesn't mean that, that some information can't be shared by someone that he delegates or she delegates that responsibility to, but it does mean <clears throat> that everyone knows that this information came from the senior leader. And then last, um, some information can also be shared, not only by the senior leader, by persons they designate, but some information can be shared by, by people that senior leadership recruits for the task, like peers or professionals who might give added expertise. For example... Um, when I've been involved in church building programs, I would typically share information in a general sense about the building, the cost, the, 
the, uh, the plans and et cetera. And then I would say, now I have this person in the church that all of you know who's a building professional who's very well acquainted with our project. Now they're going to come and talk about it from their perspective. Now, of course, that person and I have met before. We've vetted what we're going to say. We're in agreement. But I want the church to hear from a professional person in the field about something related to finances. Same thing with like an audit. As a senior leader, I, I stand up and say, this is what uh, our audit says. This is what it means. And this is how I think we should understand it. But beyond that, I want you to hear from some CPAs on our board, or I want you to hear from some financial people in our church, or I want you to hear even from the auditors themselves what they have to say about it so that people get firsthand information from peers or professionals that I've recruited into the process to support or to underscore or to clarify what we're trying to communicate. Well, developing stewards is better than crisis fundraising. It's a slow process. Developing stewards takes time, but it makes a difference over time. And the strongest churches are those that somewhere in their history have started and developed a strong stewardship development program. And they have it in place, and it's been working for years, and because of that, it's created an economic powerhouse, an economic tsunami, if you will, an economic wave of support that keeps coming from the church that, that has members that have been trained to be stewards. This is a challenging issue for many people. I know it'll take time to implement what I'm talking about today, but it's like that old illustration about the shade tree. When's the best time to plant a shade tree? Well, 10 years ago. When's the second best time? Well, today. It's time to get started. Start a discipleship process that includes a stewardship development training component and do it now. Hey, get busy. It's time to lead on.